Welcome, everybody. You know what we do every Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is time to get in the cage, and it is always a good conversation with this man who does a great job covering the sport of MMA for MMA fighting. And, again, for you film and TV buffs out there, he's got a he's got nerdcoremovement.com, which is a website you all should check out. He is with us now. Damon Martin is here. Damon, how are you, man? I am good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you again, and I wanted to get into a few different things with you. The 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 news that that actually caught me off guard, and maybe it shouldn't have, is that uh, John Jones is is no longer welcome in the, in the the Winklejohn, uh, you know, Greg Jackson gym anyway, because of Mike Winklejohn. I saw a little snippet of what he had to say about it. it sounds like Greg Jackson is still training him outside of the gym, but uh, a. a a move that I respect. I've got to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what your reaction to it was and, and how you think this ultimately turns out. Well, I appreciate the sentiment of the move, you know, and I appreciate that, you know, Mike Winklejohn, and I know Mike very well. You know, I appreciate what he's trying to do. Uh, the only problem is it just feels like there's not really a hardline stance here. I mean, yes, he's not allowed in the gym itself, but. You know, Greg Jackson's still working with him. Brandon Gibson's still working with him. We don't know who many, how many people from the gym are still working with him outside the gym, which is, of course, their right to do. Uh, you just kind of wish it was, uh, you know, more like a, uh, you know, if they're going to make it a punishment, if that's what it's meant to be, yeah, that, I feel I wish it had kind of been more of that, you know, in terms of, like, we had a discussion as a team, and we felt like, you know, for right now, John cannot be part of our team, and if he gets things back together and, hopefully gets that cleaned up, we'll invite him back. If it had been a little bit more like that, I think I would have been a bit more on board with it. But, again, I appreciate the sentiment of what he's doing. He's trying to take some sort of stand and trying to uh, have a tough conversation with John about the lifestyle he's been leading and the problems that he's having outside the cage. And so for that alone, I mean, Mike Winkle, John, apparently seems to be the only person willing to do that uh, because nobody else is. I mean, other coaches are still working with him. The UFC has not done anything. Uh, so, you know, kudos to Mike Winklejohn for at least taking a stand when no one else will. What? How do you view John now? I, I, you and I have talked about him a lot, and I think we're both on the same page. I think he's, he's maybe the greatest to ever do it, and I really appreciate who he is inside of the cage. He's certainly screwed up more than a few times outside of the cage, and I don't ever try to defend it. This is this is one of those things. Listen, he can get himself in trouble. He can, you know, he can do things and 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 you know whether it's uh, PEDs and whatnot. But when you get into the, to the domestic violence area, that's the indefensible. That's that's where somebody like me, who's a fan and defends him, sort of checks out and goes, "Oh, I can't anymore. I don't. I don't have anything to say about it in a positive way." There's no defense for what he's been accused of, and it's it's graphic and it's and I know he's taken to social media saying, "I never did this," and you know, whatever. But I, I'm curious where you're at as somebody who can appreciate who he is inside of the cage. But this is an element of his personality that, that in, again, in my opinion, is indefensible. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is the ugliest thing yet. I mean, it's terrible. The, the DUIs are terrible. The hit and run in 2015 was awful, especially when we found out that, you know, one of the victims was a pregnant woman and he fled the scene. That's, again, indefensible and horrible behavior. But this one... Listen, I, I'm a person who grew up around domestic violence. I think everyone in their life has probably been touched by domestic violence in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a friend or a family member. And to me, that's the lowest of the low. I mean, you just don't you just don't get worse than that in terms of you know uh, doing so. Especially as a professional fighter, like that to me is the the breaking line for me. Now, again, we don't know all the facts, and and we don't know 
you know, we don't know everything. He's not been convicted of anything, so I want to be clear about that. I don't, I'm not trying to convict him in the court of public opinion. I'm just saying if if these things are true, are, are proven to be true, uh, yeah, I, I just there's no coming back for that for me. I mean, I just I have a hard time, you know, rooting for a guy to get a second chance, or in John's case, like a ninth chance. Uh, <laughs> you know, when this is the this is the the charges against him. You know, everything else he's done, even the hit and run, as bad as that was, it was pretty terrible. Uh, even that, you feel like he can come back. He can learn something from that and come back. And you know, because again, it's not like, you know, I'm not excusing him by any stretch of the imagination. But you can say all the different things he did wrong in that situation. You can come out on the other side of that and become a better person. You hope he did. Uh, unfortunately, the DUI arrest in 2020 and now this with the you know, domestic violence. Uh, again, I just that's it to me. Like that's it. Like I just I, you can't come back from that and especially when you're a professional fighter. I mean, that's just one of those really ugly things. Like, I've never I – just, I just cannot get past that. I say, when you're a professional fighter, you are trained uh, – you are literally trained to hurt people for a living, and you just don't put your hands on a woman. You don't commit that kind of offense. Uh, again, if this, if this proves out to be true, I, I just, there's no way coming back for me for John, especially when you add in all the other things. It's not like – this is the first time he's screwed up, and this is a monstrous screw-up, of course. But it's not like this is a one-time incident. We have a pattern of behavior. Uh, and Ryan Bader, I had a conversation with him on my podcast last week, and he said, when you start making enough mistakes, it's no longer a mistake. It's a habit. And that's what it appears to be with John. Yeah, and yet we see Dana take a hard line with Luis Pena, which they should. That sounded awful, hearing that 911 call and, and reading details of that domestic violence incident, and there was no punches pulled. They release him, but he's not the cash cow that John Jones is. He's not the name John Jones is, and they have yet to really do anything. And I don't know you know, if they're, they're waiting for an official you know, conclusion in terms of the legal system or if they're just buying time. What do you think of Dana's position on this and how he's handled it versus other cases? We've seen him give Greg Hardy an more than a few opportunities. Uh, again, Luis Pena recently cut. How do you, how do you sort of justify where, where Dana's approaching this? Well, to me, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible because as egregious as what we heard with Luis Pena now being arrested twice in a matter of about four months for domestic violence charges. And I have, I have zero issue with them releasing him and, and being done. I have zero issue with that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't root for anyone to lose their job. That's not my job as a journalist to root for a fighter to lose his or her job. But them making that call and saying, we can't associate with this guy anymore. He's got to be gone. I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that decision being made. The issue I have is the inconsistency. And as you said, John Jones, you would think, I mean, if this, let's just put this in the, in, the, in the context of the NFL. The NFL, you know, it, it kind of is a bit of a zero-tolerance league, but we have seen players come back from bad situations. But if you, were, if you can imagine John Jones doing all the things he's done and then this being the, the exclamation point on, on his career, I have a hard time believing anybody would want to touch him. He would it just the, the, the PR, the public relations would be a disaster to have a guy like that on your team or, or around your organization. What kind of a message are you sending to your fan base uh, that you'd want to be associated with a guy like that? Uh, you know, we, we've seen the NFL this week. I mean, John Gruden. There's been stories about how bad he's been over the years. Keyshawn Johnson's talked about it for years, but now we have valid proof of what what kind of guy he is. And done. I mean, within a day, he was gone. And I think his career's over. I don't think we'll ever see him coaching the NFL again. 
Uh, I'm not again. I'm not. I'm not advocating for John Jones to lose his career and, and never fight again. Not doing that. I'm just saying that there's so much inconsistency with the UFC that one guy, two or three days after he gets arrested, gone off the roster. John Jones. All we hear from Dana is, well, I'm not surprised. Well, I'm sure you're not surprised, Dana. He's done these kind of things <laughs> over and over and over again. Where is any kind of backup from the UFC saying we just? I mean, listen, I understand. You know, the, the money involved, I understand John Jones, like you, I agree, probably the greatest fighter in the history of the sport, but at some point it's diminishing returns. And one thing I said, not to keep running back to my podcast, one thing I said on my podcast last week was, you know, right now, and again, I'm not advocating for John to be cut, but right now they're not in a loss, they're not in a lose-lose situation with John because he's not the light heavyweight champion. He's not the heavyweight champion. He's not the number one guy at light heavyweight, and he's not the number one guy at heavyweight right now. There's a lot of other options in both those divisions. So if you do cut ties with John Jones, hypothetically, while you do lose potentially the greatest fighter in the history of the sport, you're not really condemning your divisions because he was the guy in line. Uh, you're not losing your champion because he was holding on to the title. So just to do nothing right here and then release another guy days after his arrest is just wildly inconsistent, and that's my issue. Yeah, I, I, you're not wrong on any level. It's just it's it's unfortunate to say the very least, and, and ugly, and and you know, again, as somebody who was a big fan and supporter of his, it's it's beyond a bummer to to know that that you know what it's not just about a young guy who's got a lot of attention and fame and money and doesn't know how to handle it. Now he's he's crossed over into that into that area that's indefensible. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. Hey, you wrote a story uh, on on uh, MMAfighting.com, uh, and, and it's uh, coming courtesy of uh, the manager of Kamaro Usman, who says he's already passed George St. Pierre, and he needs something crazy like a Canelo Alvarez fight, which I think he's talking out of his backside and looking for a big payday. Kamaro would get absolutely eviscerated in a situation like that. But what do you think of the statement that, that Ali made that he's he's already surpassed GSP in terms of, you know, what he's accomplished in his career? Initially, I'm like, oh, stop it. And then I'm like, well, you know, he has won 17 in a row, and he's basically taken on every every challenge that's out there. I don't, I, maybe not as crazy a comment as I at first blush. What, what was your reaction? Listen, I, I, I posited the question to Ali because I believe that Kamaru Usman has surpassed George St. Pierre. Uh, and it's not a knock on George in any way, shape, or form. I think George is one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport. When you talk about the greatest of all time debate, when you think about him coming back from a long layoff, winning the middleweight title, that puts him in a different category in terms of the greatest of all time you know, status, which Kamaru has not quite reached yet in his career, because we haven't seen him you know, do those kind of things yet. Maybe he will eventually, but we haven't seen him do those kind of things yet. But in terms of his, his, his status at welterweight, yes. I know the argument everyone says is the title defenses. Tomorrow is about to go for his fifth title defense. GSP had nine in a row. And that's the one that kind of everyone holds up over their head and says, you know, uh, you know that, that's, that's, the, that's the breaking point. You can't be better than George until you get the title defense record. But again, Title defenses can be deceptive in a way, not to diminish what George did, but I do believe some of the level of competition that Kamara was facing, and that's just the, the natural progression and evolution of the sport, that he's going to fight better competition. I think, I think Colby Covington, you know, take away all his political stances, take away all the crazy things he says. If he's in any other organization right now, he's the champion. If Kamara Usman's not in the UFC right now, I think Colby Covington is the champion. 
Uh, he's that good. He is a really, really good welterweight. He just has a giant roadblock in front of him named Kamar Usman. Gilbert Burns is an absolute beast. Uh, you know, and, and Kamar went out there, dismantled him inside two rounds. Uh, you look at, you know, Leon Edwards, the guy who's on a, whatever, 10-fight undefeated streak. Kamar hasn't went over him. George Mazadal, a, a legend, a guy who's fought everybody. Knockouts over Darren Till, knockout over Ben Ashton. Got beat pretty handily the first time. He kind of a snoozer, but then knocks him out cold in the second round in the second fight. I mean, you can't – I mean, and I think that is what is starting to separate Camaro from George is because the biggest criticism of George towards the latter part of his UFC career after he beat Matt Sarah in the rematch was that he started playing it, what people considered playing it safe. He didn't go out there and take as many risks. Now, I don't begrudge George for that game plan. Go ahead and win, and win in the easiest way possible. And if taking a guy down and controlling him on the ground is going to prevent you from getting hit in the head 200 times in a fight, I'm all for it. That being said, when Kamaru's taking guys down, he is generally beating them up badly, I and mean, he is dominating. Look what he did to Tyron Woodley. He was a you know, an incredible wrestler in his own right. And now Kamaru's adding knockouts on top of that, which is something that George was, you know, did early in his career, never really known for that later in his career. So I think that's what's starting to separate Kamaru. Not only is it his body of work, which is incredibly impressive, it's the way he's putting people away. He broke Colby Covington's jaw. He knocks out Jorge Mazadal. He knocks out Gilbert Burns. That is where I personally have Usman ranked ahead. Now, when, when his manager throws out Canelo, which I don't blame him for. He's trying to make him money. He's trying to get him attention in a in an area he otherwise wouldn't. We're we're in this in this state, Damon, where we're watching you know older fighters from different disciplines fight each other. Whether it's Vitor versus Evander Holyfield, which was, was the debacle and even worse than anybody thought it would be, and seeing these kind of matchups. Do you ever anticipate we'll see somebody in their prime in boxing, an elite boxer, and we can use Canelo as an example, fight somebody in their prime who's elite? Uh, in their sport, like Camaro, I, I, it's it's interesting on on some level because they're both at least in their prime and they're not approaching sixty like Holyfield was. But at the same time, it it, it feels dumb because if you put Canelo in a cage, he's going to get eviscerated within forty five seconds. If you put Camaro uh, in a boxing ring, he's not getting out of the first round. Maybe I mean it just it's it's not going to be a competitive situation in either discipline if we're talking about both at their at their physical prime. What do you, what do you think of that moving forward? Well, you know, I think here's the, here's the issue we're running into. And I think this is why, you know, when Ali talks about, you know, Canelo, even though realistically, we all probably know it's never going to happen, but we're talking about it. That's why you mention right. things like that, because Camaro is in that conversation. You know, Camaro gets the attention of Canelo Alvarez. And even if it never happens, and I would wager it will never happen. You get people talking about it. I, listen, it's a smart move. I mean, there was a time, and it was ridiculous, and there was a lot of people who called it ridiculous, but we all covered it. Everyone talked about it when Dana said Ronda Rousey could easily beat Floyd Mayweather. Now, looking back on it, we all said, oh, my gosh, that was so ridiculous. It was so nutty and whatever. But the run that Ronda was on, you know, we talked about like a full-contact fight, not a boxing match. It didn't, sound, it didn't sound as ludicrous to some folks, and there were a lot of people on board with what Dana was saying. Did, was it ever going to happen? Were they ever actually going to put Ronda Rousey in a ring or a cage with Floyd Mayweather? Of course not. But it got people talking. And so Ali mentioning Canelo is brilliant. I mean, it's a brilliant move because we're talking about a crossover fight with the best pound-for-pound boxing sport. And also, in this particular case, Usman is not calling out Jake Paul. 
He's not calling out Logan Paul, which is what everyone else seems to do. He's calling out Canelo freaking Alvarez, the best pound for pound boxer <laughs> in the sport. That to me, even if it never happens, and I don't think it will, that to me takes a lot of a lot of guts. Even if it, again, I know we're all saying it's not going to happen, but even if they even just to take that that idea that you could do it, and also I think the other factor that's playing into Kamara's favor or into Ali's favor, mentioning this is because we have started to see so many crossover bouts right now between MMA and boxing that we're seeing MMA guys, because they do have a foundation in striking, it's so much easier for them to go in and survive, let's say, with a, with a top boxer, with a boxer at all, or do pretty well. Listen, I know Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. was never that good, okay? I think anyone who knows boxing will tell you that guy was never his dad. He was never a great boxer. But right. for Anderson Silva to go out there and just basically put it on him for eight rounds, I mean, the split decision was a joke. Anderson beat him handily. That was impressive. I, that was a very impressive performance. I know Jake, I know Jake Paul is kind of the joke of, 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 of you know, kind of butt of the joke of the boxing community, but I've seen, I mean, he's not a terrible boxer. Is he going to be a champion? I doubt it, uh, but he's not terrible. Tyron Woodley went in there, and if Tyron Woodley was actually throwing punches, he would have won that fight. I mean, he was he was basically walking Jake down the entire time. He just didn't throw enough punches to win the fight. Uh, so we've seen MMA fighters go over to boxing and find success. The flip side has never happened. I mean, Clarissa Shields is taking a shot at it right now. You could argue Holly Holm is the best possible example of a boxer crossing over into MMA, and I would say, of course, she's a legend. But, you know, by and large, we don't see that. And the examples that we have, the James Tonys of the world, it's gone just horrifically bad. <laughs> yeah. So there is a, there is a, there is a, there is a, there is a uh, you know, there is a, a model, so to speak, of an MMA fighter going over to boxing and, and doing okay. There is zero model outside of Holly Holm for a boxer coming over to MMA and doing anything other than getting just completely demolished. So all, that's although, why we although, talk about it. Although, Damon, we do forget. We do forget about Ray Mercer knocking out Tim Sylvia. Remember that? <laughs> that I do remember that. I do remember that one. Yes, yeah, that big tree fall hard. And I do remember <laughs> that knockout. Yes, I do. But, yeah, like I said, but again, and I, like I said, I, I, I applaud somebody like Clarissa Shields coming out of her comfort zone to come into MMA where she is so out of her, you know, out of her depth. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we can talk about how women's boxing has been you know, never had the success that it, women's MMA has had. But again, we're at least we're at least somebody is trying it. I don't think anyone else will, at least not anytime in the near future. No, great points, great points. Damon Martin, uh, news editor of MMAfighting.com, also owner and editor of NerdCoreMovement.com for you uh, movie and TV buffs out there. He's got you covered there as well. Damon, always fun, man. I appreciate you cutting out time as always and uh, look forward to talking again down the road. Hey, thanks for having me.